Thank you, uh, worship team. It's nice to have Estevan join us. He's a student at Fairfield University, and uh, thanks for playing. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, we're focused on uh, the generosity of God because we realize that our lives are rooted and resourced uh, out of the generosity of God, that God is the first and the most generous giver of all. And uh, I think in Romans chapter 8, you know, the Bible uh, kind of asks a question that uh, when we think about it, it's really a great question to ponder. It says, you know, what are we going to say about these things that we just sang about? You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, um, and then here's the question. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave us what's most precious to him, uh, why would he ever hold back anything that's less precious unless it's for our own good, right? Uh, it's a great question. If God gave what's most precious to him, his son, why would he ever hold back anything except that it would not be good for us, you know? He's a good, good father, and I'm loved by him, and that's, that's who we are. That's who we are. And so last week, we saw that a Christian is a person, you know, who's adopted by God, that our identity, who we really are, is wrapped up in this thought that God uh, not only uh, forgives us and, and saves us, but that he adopts us into his family. It's the generosity of God uh, satisfying that longing that we have, that longing for belonging, right? And God adopts us into his forever family. We just sang the song, Forever. Forever. It's nice to know that we're a part of something that's forever, that will last forever, that will never have an end. And uh, so much of this life, you know, uh, uh, is not forever. And so we're adopted by God and um, that my fundamental identity and who I am is determined, you know, not by my father who abandoned me or not by my father who betrayed me or not by my father who, you know, uh, died on me or left me or abused me, but by my father who adopted me, my forever father who adopted me into his family. And so this morning, then, I want to uh, continue on in Ephesians chapter 1, where the Bible brings us to another identity issue about who we are. And I think, uh, I think probably everybody understands the concept of debt, right? Everybody understands what debt uh, really is. And uh, it happens when we spend more than we have, and uh, we end up owing, right? Like our United States of America is now $18 trillion uh, in debt. Or it also happens um, when we become indebted as a result of an offense or an injury which we caused, right? Um, I used to have a friend uh, in church here who was a Fairfield cop, and uh, we used to cut wood together, uh, firewood, right? And so um, Barb and I are on our way home from church one Sunday many years ago, and uh, we go up Benson Road, turn on to Black Rock Turnpike, and all of a sudden behind me there's this police car, lights are going, sirens going, I'm like... What did I do, you know? And pulls us over, and uh, it was my friend, right? And he's like, Dave. He says, I met this guy, and he's selling his house. He's got acres that are, and he said, we can go cut as much firewood as we want before he sells the house, right? So we're all excited. We sharpen our chainsaws. We pick a day, and uh, you had to go through this uh, dirt road to get to this piece of property and so on. And so we go back there, and 
And uh, we start, you know, I, I look around and there are oak trees. Now, oak is like the best firewood, red oak, and it just splits easy. And they're all different sizes, so we don't have to cut down the real big ones because that's hard to, you know, split those up and everything. So we just start, we're having a ball. We're looking and I'm, I'm just like, this is like, wow, this is really great, you know. And we're cutting down trees and we're cutting them up and we're loading them into our pickups and whatever we had and, and bringing them to our house and dumping them out and going back and cutting more. And, and we're doing this now, you know, for, for a while. And um, all of a sudden... Um, we come back from dumping the wood off at one of our houses and we go down this dirt road to get to this property and there's a big tree like right next to the road and it's got pictures on it. And on the top of the pictures, there's a sign that says, police have been notified, okay? So the pictures are of our cars, our license plates, the pictures are of us cutting wood and the pictures are of our houses. So somebody's been watching us, and somebody actually went to our house, took pictures of the wood in front of our house and our cars with our license plates. Now, he's a Fairfield cop, and I'm a pastor. And so, you know, we're a little concerned about this, and, you know, we're joking about it, but we're really both pretty, probably pretty nervous on the inside. I, I know I was, and, and so on. And so um, the following Sunday morning, I still remember it was a Sunday morning, uh, the newspaper on the front of the newspaper it says vandals destroy town property right and uh i read the article and uh i, I it dawns on me they're talking about me <laughs> i mean i got all the way through my teenage years and never was called a vandal right <laughs> until i became a pastor and now i'm a vandal and so and it's on the front page of the connecticut post still have the little uh article and so forth and i read it and um yeah, I realized, oh my goodness, they're, they're talking about me. And so um, on Monday morning, I, uh, I called the tree warden because he was quoted in the article and so forth, and I guess he was the one in charge. And, um, and I called him, and I said, you know, I explained. I said, I thought we were on private property and, and, and so on. And he's like, no, you're on town property, and I'm going to calculate uh, the amount of damage that you've done, that you've done by, you know, and he went into this, you know, I still remember, he said, I'm going to count the rings on the, on the trees that you cut down, and I'm going to, how many years that you destroyed, you know, town property, and I'm going to assess a fine, and you can either pay it or go to jail. And that's what he said. I'm like, okay. And so now uh, I'm thinking, you know, what do I do? I mean, I don't have any money, right, to really pay it. That's why I'm cutting wood for free eat. That's, that's why I'm cutting trees down, you know. And uh, it's kind of hard to think about going to your church and saying, hey, could you bail your pastor out of jail? I mean, could you, you know, can we take a special offering and, you know, buy some trees and, and so on and so forth. And so anyway, it was uh, quite an uh, interesting thing. But my point is, see, I created by my actions an indebtedness, right, to the town, to, to somebody. I, I've, I broke a law. I offended uh, people. And so... Um, the end result uh, was that uh, the tree warden eventually called me back and said, um, we figured out it would be too expensive for us to survey all of this property to determine whether it actually is town property or not, and they just dropped the whole thing. So, you know, that was fine uh, in the end. But, it, you know, those are the kinds of incidents you say, Lord, why, am, why is this happening? You know, it's just so that I have a story f to explain to you how it is that you incur debt when you offend other people, right? Or when you uh, break laws and, and, and so on. And so when I think back, um, you know, it's like when I saw those oak trees, 
and they were red oak, and they were as many as you wanted uh, that you could just cut down. When I saw them, it's like my common sense went away from me, and I didn't think to even ask, are we sure we're on the right property? Didn't even think about that. I just saw those trees, and man, immediately we're like, like stop the car, let's jump out, let's get these you know, like, I don't, it's not like they're going anyplace and so forth, but I, I sort of lost my common sense. And so uh, it makes me think of uh, Eve back in Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3. And you remember, uh, God said, look, don't, don't eat from this one tree. And uh, here's Genesis 3 verse 6 says this. So when the woman saw the tree, when she saw it, if she just didn't look that way, if I just didn't see those oak trees and, and, and would have went to the property owner and said, where's the property line so we can make sure that we're on the right piece of property, if I didn't look at the trees first, you know, I, I'd have been fine. Um, and so it says that, you know, Eve looked, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. She saw it. And uh, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so then she took of it. And uh, I think the wisdom of the Bible that says, you know, flee temptation. Don't, you know, when you look at it, you're dead. And uh, that's what happened to Eve. And so um, it was pleasing to the eye. If she had never looked, if she had focused on God and focused on, you know, uh, the life that God had given her and all the other things that God had done, she'd have been content with the life that God designed for her. But in going against God, uh, our original parents, you know, created a huge indebtedness. A huge indebtedness, right? And uh, they couldn't pay it back. And that indebtedness spread to everybody. If, if you are following in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 5, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, here's what happened. Uh, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years... He fathered a son in his own likeness. Ah, oh, shoot. Right? Now we all come into the world indebted. We all come in the likeness of Adam. We all come into the world not in the likeness of God, our Heavenly Father, but in the likeness of Adam after his image. And uh, he named him Seth and and so on. And so we're born indebted to God. We're born with this uh, indebtedness. It's, it's just like the officials of the government who made decisions that, that caused the United States of America to be $18 trillion in debt, and you and I are the United States of America. And so we have this debt. I mean, nobody asked me, do you think it's a good idea that we go into this debt? Nobody asked me. Other people made the decision, but I have the indebtedness. And Adam and Eve made the decision as sort of the representative head of the human race, and their disease spread to me and to you. And so we have this indebtedness before God. We have this nature that's like Adam's instead of like God's, and, um, and it affects all of us. Our original parents made this decision that put us in debt to God. And because of that nature that got into us, we all do things that offend other people. And we all end up, you know, uh, uh, owning this indebtedness. And the relationships as a result are broken. And there's all kinds of things 
God tells us things like anger and hatred and greed and lies and jealousy and coveting and sexual deviation and idolatry and envy and getting even and self-centeredness and on and on and on all create this kind of moral indebtedness to a God who intended that we would be like him. And, uh, and it spreads to everybody, right? Uh, Romans 3, uh, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gotten into this debt to God. We've all got this huge debt. And uh, nobody can uh, figure out, you know, what to do with it. Every last person falls short of what God created us to be. Every one of us has fallen and fallible and, and we've failed. And it's, it's what the Bible calls sin. And so we have this sin debt, this moral sin debt. And uh, if you think with me and ask the question, you know, what can you do with your debt? What can you do with this indebtedness that, that we're both born with and that we incur on our own or we add to on our own? Uh, what can we really do with that debt? How can we get out from under this debt? Well, some of us, you know, like uh, old Adam back in the Garden of Eden, try to pass it off onto our wives, right? This is one of my uh, favorite verses here back in Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verse 12, you know, God comes to Adam and uh, God says, you know, what on earth did you do? And uh, in verse 12, the man said, the woman, the woman. That's why some of us get married, so that we have somebody to blame for everything that's wrong with us, right? And uh, this goes all the way back to Adam and he says, well, it's, it's the woman. And, and so what do I do with this? indebtedness, this sin, uh, moral debt that I've created. And, and, uh, and Adam says, well, the woman, the woman, she gave it to me. And then notice what it goes a little further. He says, the woman, God, whom you gave to me. By implication, God, this is your fault. This is your fault, you see? And uh, a lot of people blame God for a lot of things that, you know, are not his fault. And, uh, you know, Adam's not too much of a stand-up guy here, right? And um, so then God turns to the woman, and the woman, she's not much better, verse 13, right? The Lord God says to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it, right? And uh, nobody stands up and owns, you know, this sin debt that uh, we all participate in and that we all fall short of. And so some people try to pass it off onto their spouse or even on to God or the devil and so forth. Uh, some of us uh, try to blame our parents for the sin guilt that, you know, is a part of our nature. And, um, you know, I know people who actually uh, have lived their entire lives and went to the grave and excused everything they did wrong because of how their parents had let them down somewhere along the line. And they just had this thing about, you know, what their parents did, how their parents failed them. Um, I remember one, um, a uh, guy who uh, was mad because the parents divorced, and his entire life he blamed that uh, everything he did wrong, he blamed on that divorce. He just said he justified himself uh, by uh, blaming his parents. Well, some of us try to take our um, moral sin guilt, if you will, and um, go see a psychiatrist and try to get some pills that try to numb it out, and uh, we or we get addicted to some substance that gives us relief from that kind of sense that, you know, I'm not what uh, God originally intended for me to be. And then still others go to a psychologist, you know, and a psychologist, if you go to a psychologist with that kind of sin guilt, um, 
Uh, usually a psychologist will listen very carefully and then um, kind of diagnose uh, what the problem is and uh, label it and then hand it back to you along with some advice on how to live with it. And, um, but nobody can get rid of it, right? Nobody can really get rid of it. And so uh, the penalty uh, for it ends up being uh, death, right? Um, we end up having death be the penalty for the reality of this sin nature, which we inherit all the way back from Adam and live out in our own lives. But of course, this is exactly why Jesus came, was to get rid of this debt and to get rid of death by dying in our place. It's exactly the reason that uh, Jesus came into the world. He came to uh, be the second Adam, if you will. If you are uh, following along in your Bible, if you go to Romans and uh, chapter 5, um, uh, you see that um, Adam, Adam was the first kind of representative of the human race and that Jesus came to be uh, the second um, uh, head of the human race and to pay this debt. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, uh, we read these words, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin spread to all man because everybody sinned, so Adam sins, it spreads to everybody. We all get this indebtedness. Uh, and then in, in verse 14, it says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So Adam was a, a type. He was a representative of the human race, but he was a type of the one who was to come. And, uh, and then we get down to verse 15, and we read this. But the free gift, the free gift, so the trust, you know, it was not like the trespass of Adam. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the second Adam, the second representative head of the human race. And Jesus comes to straighten out or to righten what Adam made a mess of. He came to pay our sin debt. And it's a free gift. Paul's over and over here six times. Free gift, free gift, free gift. The only way you can get out from underneath this reality of our debt is to accept the gift that God wants to give us. And so if you just go back a page in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 21, Paul again describes it like this. The free gift is God's righteousness. We're, we're given this gift of righteousness in place of our indebtedness. And so the righteousness, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This isn't something you can work your way into. It's not following rules and, and regulations and traditions. This is a righteousness that comes to us apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does redemption mean? What does it mean to redeem something? You know what it means? Very simple. To redeem something is to pay for it. It's to buy it. Redemption is just uh, means to just buy it. And so uh, we saw in Ephesians that the first part of our identity is this adoption, uh, verses 5 and 6, that God predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, uh, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us uh, in the beloved. And then second, in him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption. He paid the price through his blood. The price was death. And Christ offered this price for our indebtedness by shedding his blood. Uh, The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Lavished upon us. His grace. You know, to redeem something is just to pay for it. It's to buy it. It's one of the, I want to say to you that it's one of the very first places that we ever encounter the generosity of God. This is an incredible thought when you think about it. We give God our sin, our debt, our worst, and God gives us back his best. His only begotten son, his precious son. Think about that. Think about the generosity of God. I say this is the first place that we have an experience of the generosity of God when we give him our worst and he hands us back his best. He pays off our debt with the blood of his only begotten son. Um, And that's when we begin to experience the generosity of God. And God does it all by his grace. It's undeserved. It's a favor that he does for us because he loves us. Uh, He just asks us to believe him, to take him at his word. Uh, When I think about this in terms of dollars and cents, it would be like China coming over to America and saying, hey, you know, I I, I just um, want to pay your debt. I want to forgive all your debt. I know it will mean the death of China, but I just love you Americans. And so I'm just going to forgive all the debt, even though it'll kill us. You know, it'll be wonderful for you because I love you. That's what God did in coming into the world and saying, look, I I love you so much. I'm going to pay. I know it's going to kill me. I know it's going to be very expensive, but I love you. In fact, my, my, my love is more intense than my anger at your sin. And so I'm going to forgive your debt and I'm going to pay that huge price. In Christ, we have redemption. It means that God paid off our debt. He set us free as we sang about it this morning. And it was extremely expensive. Uh, Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood. Through his blood. And uh, our debt, uh, you know, uh, is expensive. And uh, it's death. The blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus, Uh, is what paid our ransom. I I like the way that uh, Peter talks about this. You remember in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 17, and and if you call on God as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, 
conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your stay on earth or your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. There's no amount of money that could pay off the indebtedness that we owed him, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The precious blood of Christ. Uh, blood is a, a symbol for life, right? If you go uh, all the way back to the um, Old Testament in Leviticus, here's how God talks about uh, you know, the shedding of blood. Uh, verse 11 says, uh, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. God understands. And I, you know, since I've had my surgery and have to have blood tests and everything, I'm amazed at what you can learn about blood, uh, about a person's health from their blood. Right? And God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. In other words, blood equals life. And so when you shed blood, you, you invite death. It's a way of talking about death. Verse 14, uh, for the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. And so for God to offer Christ's blood to pay off our debt is to offer his uh, life. Now, you know, in the Roman Empire, where Jesus, in Jesus' day, there were, uh, it's, I've read that there were upwards of six million slaves uh, that were part of the Roman Empire. And um, Jesus, in John chapter 8, says, um, you know, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Once you sin, you create debt, and then sin controls you because you're in debt. You can't get out of it on your own. And uh, so your sin actually determines your destiny. And so Jesus said, you know, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. You can't get out from under it. It, it begins to control your destiny. And in the Roman Empire, these six million slaves, if you had somebody that was a slave that was a part of your family, and uh, you wanted to uh, see them released from that slavery... Uh, you could do it. You, it was called a kinsman redeemer. And there were three requirements. If you, wanted, if you had a relative that was a slave and uh, you wanted to see them freed from that, number one, you had to be a relative. Number two, you had to have money because it was a very high price. The owner of the slave would calculate how much this slave would be worth to me over the course of his lifetime and then set a price, you know, and then make a profit on top of that. And so it was a very high price that was set, and you had to have that kind of money. And third, you had to be willing. You had to be willing to do it. You had to be willing to say, you know, all this money is worth the freedom that that person... And if you think about that, you know, uh, Jesus meets those three requirements. That's why Jesus had to come and become a human being, so that he could be a blood relative of ours, right? That's why Christmas had to happen, and uh, why he was born of a woman, and why he became a human being, and so forth. He was you know, at least in this Roman Empire, if you were going to be a kinsman redeemer, you had to be a relative, and then you had to be, you had to have the juice. I mean, you had to have the money. You had to have, you know, you had to have, Jesus had to have a sinless life. He had to have a life that he could trade for all of us. And uh, so he had to have a perfect life, and he did. And, uh, and then he was willing. He had to be willing. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And uh, to the cross he went. And so uh, I think this is an extremely generous act uh, uh, by God 
when we read, you know, in him, in Jesus, we have this redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. He paid a huge price. He paid a huge price. He is uh, way generous when it comes to uh, having us back in his family. Uh, Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt, you know, that we couldn't pay. And I think it's sad that uh, well-meaning people, oftentimes well-meaning, I think people are well-meaning, but they suggest that, you know, we can't be blamed for our sins. It's always somebody else's fault. And, uh, you know, I, I think the latest thing in the news is this kid who has uh, affluenza. You know, it's not his fault. And he doesn't, he shouldn't feel guilty for his crimes because his parents spoiled him. He has affluenza. You know, and, and, and it's just kind of the way the world thinks, you know. Uh, somehow it's the fault of our parents or it's the fault of the environment that we grew up in or it's the genetic makeup that I was dealt. And God says, no, your sins are yours. And the guilt that's incurred is yours. And uh, the law is given in the Bible so that we can know what kind of sinners we are, so that we will be driven to Christ, so that we can take part in this lavish, gracious, generous outpouring of God's love for us in Christ. Uh, that's the big news that comes from heaven, right? And uh, as I think about this, this free gift and God's generosity in Christ and so forth, I realize that for me, my whole sense of um, self-esteem and self-worth comes from the fact that God was willing to pay that kind of price for me. When I think about you know how precious Christ's blood is and who he, who he is, that he would go to the cross in my place, that God was willing to pay the highest price imaginable to save my soul. That's where my self-esteem and where my self-worth really comes from. And when I think about it, you know, I, I realize that I live in the tension, in the truth that's in the tension between self-esteem and self-denial. You can make a case from the Bible uh, that we should be, you know, really concerned about self-esteem or really concerned about self-denial. And uh, the truth is, by myself, I'm worthless. But paid for by the precious blood of Jesus, I'm priceless. And so I live in the tension between this self-denial, I know by myself I'm worthless, and self-esteem where I know that God paid this enormous price in order to adopt me back into his family. He redeemed me. That's what it means. He, he paid the price. Uh, we used to sing an old hymn, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, right, and forever, <laughs> I am. Redeemed, paid for. It's where our sense of worth ought to come from. And it's very sad, it seems to me, when Christians live as if their offenses haven't been paid for. Uh, they live as if God is still holding something against them. You know, something heavy will happen in their life and, and they'll think that God is punishing me because, you know, Two years ago, I let him down, and I did something wrong, and I know about it. And, and no, I think God might discipline us, but the punishment went to the cross. And uh, I think that God would 
I invite us to go to the cross there and to have our offenses relieved. God forgives us. He paid for us. And uh, we don't need to live as if God is holding our sins against us because he isn't. And uh, I don't know, you remember this? Uh, you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? Uh, God says to Jonah, I want you to go over to those Ninevites and I want you to you know, tell them that they're in deep weeds and uh, they all repent. And so God forgives them. And so Jonah gets really mad. He's mad at God. And, and I love this. He, he He's displeased. It says in Jonah chapter 3, it says, When God saw what the people did, how they turned away from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and here's what he said. Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was still in my country? That's why I, you know, went in the opposite direction and went for Tarshish, because I know that you're a gracious, generous God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster, and it ticks me off. I don't like it that you're so generous and, and gracious, right? I mean, what a prayer this is, right? And therefore, Lord, take my life. I'd rather be dead than to be hooked up with you and to run around the world telling people, you know, that you're going to bring judgment and then you relent because they repent. You know, I, I'm not into this anymore, right? I mean, Jonah, what's wrong with you, right? And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> Is this bright on your part? And so then you remember he makes the a vine grow up to create some shade for him and then he takes it away and, and God tries to help him out, you know, to... To get over that. But why? Because God is a generous, gracious, merciful, slow to anger God. Because he's generous and he's gracious. The very next uh, book in the Bible after Jonah is Micah. And uh, at the very end of uh, Micah's uh, little book here, um, he asks a question. He says, uh, what, what's distinctive about our God? Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? Who is a God like you? What, what other God is like this? who pays the price for our indebtedness. What other God is like? Every other God says, this is what you have to do to serve me to climb out of your pit. This is a distinctive of our, what is it, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions? Who's a God like that for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. His love is stronger than his anger. Right? Uh, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. This is a generous God. This is a gracious God. This is a God whose love is greater than his anger. He hates sin. He hates evil. He hates all the stuff in the world that's ruining everything that he created. He hates it, right? Anger. And judgment will come. But this is a God who pays the price for all of that by the sacrifice of his son's blood, his life, and invites us to believe him so that we might live in that redeemed, that we might live in that redeemed condition. Uh, with this God, I think the great distinctive with our God is that when we go to him, we don't get what we deserve, we get what we need. We don't get what we deserve from our God. We get what we need because he loves us and he pays a huge 
price for us. He gives his best. We give him our worst, and he gives us um, his best. We deserve judgment. We deserve condemnation. We deserve rejection. But what do we get? We get grace. We get forgiveness. We get liberation. We get love. We get a clean slate. We get you know, promises that God makes about our future. We get redeemed. We get bought and set free like a slave. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all of this, let me just say in conclusion, you know, it's not somebody else's fault. We, we short-circuit what God wants to do in our lives when we try to make everything that's wrong with us somebody else's fault. Uh, it's our heart that's sick, right? Jeremiah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, you remember, talks about uh, our heart. And uh, he says, you know, the heart is deceitful. Your heart tricks you. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts, our hearts are sick, desperately sick, I think it says in the ESV. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? The real problem is our own hearts. That's the real problem, our heart and our relationship with God. And that's why uh, God says to us, you know, uh, Psalm 51, David, when he sinned and so forth, in Psalm 51, he's uh, this prayer and dealing with that sin and so forth, and and he says in verse uh, 16, for, for you don't delight in sacrifice, or I'd give it. That's not what God is after. He's not after sacrifice. I, I'd do it if, if I thought that would make a difference. Uh, you will not be pleased with burnt offerings. I don't need more religious tradition and so forth. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. It's a heart that says, my heart's sick. And unless you tell me the truth about it, I will never understand it. And unless I trust you more than I trust myself, I will never get it. And God says, when you come to me with a broken heart, I will never despise that. And uh, God wants my, me to give him my broken heart, my moral sin debt. And uh, he promises to give me a new heart in return. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you remember, say, I'll remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new spirit within your heart and, and so forth. It's like God goes to the junkyard and he, he buys these broken down souls and he restores our soul and he makes us into a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The generosity of God to take the old broken down souls of our lives, indebted, pay the price, and then generously restoring, giving new life, eternal life, all by his grace. And so I give my worst to God. And he gives back his best. And you encounter the generosity, the generosity of this God. And this is why we trust him in other areas. Not only does God adopt us, but he pays off all of our debt. My identity, right, does not depend on what I buy. My identity rests in who bought me. My identity, right? does not depend on what I can buy. I, I, you know, each week we put down in the bulletin um, some sermon squeezer kinds of things, like if you wanted to take this to the next step, and I said, you know, for this week, I said, quote this to the next three commercials you watch. My identity does not depend on what I buy. As you're watching football this afternoon and the commercials come on, and the car commercials and whatever, tell, quote this, to, my identity does not depend, as much as advertising is trying to convince me that my identity depends on what I can buy, my identity rests in who bought 
and paid a huge price. That's where our self-esteem and self-worth comes from. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, it's great to think about redemption. It's great to think about being redeemed. It's great to think, Father, that we can come to you with our worst and you come back to us with your best. And I pray that we'll never forget that and that our identity will rest in what you've done for us and what you've accomplished on our behalf and that we'll rejoice in it, that we'll be excited and that we realize that, you know, we, uh, we get this eternal life. It's forever. But it's costly and it costs you so much. And then you invite us to be like you. You invite us to be generous with our forgiveness and with our grace and with our ability to absorb people's worst and to come back with our best, what you put in us. And I pray that you'll help us, Father, to appreciate and value and live in the generosity of your grace, which you lavish upon us. And that as a result of that, we'll be transformed to be increasingly more and more like you and less and less like Adam. And that you will be the true representative of each of us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers now if they'd come and wait on us as we continue to worship God through the giving of our tithes and offerings. And we sing about the fact that Jesus paid it all.